friendship with God. That is the topic for today. Friendship with God. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, but we'll get into that just a little bit later on. Next slide, please. I love psychology. And this is what psychology today had to say regarding friendship. True friends walk through life together. A real friend bears witness to whatever happens to you. With old friends, there is a comforting familiarity. You can let down your guard and just be who you truly are without fear, shame, or guilt. A faithful friend is a treasure found. That's significant in our day-to-day living with each other because there are times where we desperately require a real friend, right? And uh, sometimes we desperately require a real friend because we want to laugh, right? Or maybe we want to cry or because we're angry or they're angry or something's going on. But either way, you're allowed to let your guard down absolutely and completely recognizing that the other person is not going to condemn you in any way, shape, or form, right? When there's condemnation, you know there's a little bit of a relational breakdown. But where there is no condemnation, you know there's a real friend, okay? Now, by that, I'm not saying that the friend just lets you, you know, or you yourself let someone, you know, walk into sin or anything like that. A real friend has no problems because they have no fear, shame, or guilt in regards to confronting you in these areas and just calling you to a higher place. And that's the difference, right? So we can have confrontation without condemnation. Oh, that's a good one. Confrontation without condemnation. We can confront each other in a healthy way to call each other up, and that's what God does. God confronts us without condemning us because the Word actually says that He came into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. So how does He save it? He calls us higher, calls us to a higher place by helping us to recognize who we truly are, right? And He transforms us, He changes us, and He invites us into a different relationship. Next slide, please. You see that faith, you see that His faith, being Abraham, was working and his actions, or with his actions, and his faith was perfected by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. And you can see, a man is justified by his deeds not, and not by faith alone. It's not good enough to just say we believe. It actually has to transpire. It's got to look like something. So even friendship with God literally actually looks like something. There's a transaction happening back and forth. Jen and I are in relationship with each other, right? And it's different, it's different than the relationship that Bill and I have, right? It's transactionally different. What we give and take to each other is different, okay? There's different levels of intimacy. In, in, that's, that's what we're seeing, different levels of intimacy. So next slide. We're going to try to answer quite a few questions. I'm going to blitz my way through this thing uh, as much as possible in a way that is still, uh, we can still apprehend the teaching. Why would a person want to have God as a friend? Next slide. Why would God want to have us as friends? There's a great question. You know, isn't, isn't the creator of everything completely satisfied in and of himself? The answer to the question is yes and no. Yes, no. Yes, no. Right? Because he created you for somebody. Somebody help me out here. I was created for love. Right? If you remember that song this morning, Blake's got this awesome gift to hear God's heart and relate it back to him. And so that song that we were singing this morning, I was made for love. Right? Uh, He wrote... It's beautiful. It's a great connection. And that's what we were. We were made for love and to have a relationship with God, recognizing, like, why would, why would God want to have us as friends? Because he wants a place to pour his love out. It's fantastic. Next slide, please. What does friendship with God look like? Is that something that is attainable? All right, next slide. Wow. My clicker's just working today. Ding, 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 ding. Developing a friendship. So there's different ways we develop friendship, obviously. I mean, this is not news to anybody, really. Unless you're kind of one of these students who, or people, man, I have no friends. I don't know how to make friends, right? And, and raise your hand if that's ever been something that you've struggled with. Okay, fair enough. There's a few of us who've had that difficulty. Connecting with people, we don't know how. 
Now, if, if it's difficult sometimes to have friendship or connection with, with people, physical face-to-face, how much more so then with one who seems to be unattainable, someone who seems to be outside of our purview, outside of our vision, outside of our hearing or earshot, where we can't seem to touch them either, how much more difficult then would it be to develop a friendship with that, that which is God? It can be very difficult. In fact, it could be so difficult that you may, you may build an entire faith stance on it, saying that it cannot be done. Now, how many of you recognize that religious overtone that God is somewhere out there and all we need is doctrine? Right? All we need is theology because theology is sufficient. But you weren't made for theology. <laughs> right? You were made for love. You were made for encounter. You were made to actually... Be in his presence, that it radiates, you know. So how do we then develop a friendship with God? Go ahead to the next slide, please. I believe that for every relational structure that God has for us, there is a a blueprint in the Bible. Now, it may not necessarily be laid out specifically to do. Bang, 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 bang. Not to do. Bang, 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 bang. That isn't how a relationship works. But what we can do is we can see relationships throughout Scripture from beginning to end. People, the relationships people had with God. Right? The ones that treasured Him and and He treasured them. So one of the best pictures to me is Adam walking in the cool of the day with with God. And I picture it hand in hand. And... um, that was a very difficult picture for me to receive, actually, because the way I understand it, Adam was a grown man with no belly button. You don't have to laugh at that, but really, <laughs> it answers the question. Has, has nobody ever asked that question? If Adam was created by God solely, he had no actual physical parents, did he have a belly button? The answer is no. Now you know. You write it down, you can tell all your friends Adam did not have a belly button. There was no need. His umbilical cord was a spiritual umbilical cord to God that never was meant to end, and so is ours. We are meant to have that union with God that is unbroken. That's why umbilical cords don't work. they got to get severed. Well, that's actually a heavy point. I can just sail on that sucker for a while. How did Trevor used to say it? Selah. You know, just let that word rest. And so the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his attendant Joshua, the son of Nun, that's also interesting. You ever ask that question? The son of Nun, well, how's that possible? Only Adam was the son of Nun. <laughs> it's okay. You know, I'm going to give thanks for my dad jokes. <laughs> the son of Nun, as if none of you have ever, none of you have ever done this. <laughs> All right, I'll try it again. When Moses returned to the camp, his attendant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. What I like about this is, again, here's an example of a, of a relationship that Moses had that other people weren't having. Now, what was significant about that? How did he develop that relationship? Well, how many of you know that there was a bush burning on the top of a, or in a mountain, on a mountainside, that Moses checked out? Okay. There's no reason to believe that that bush wasn't burning before. Are you aware of that? We don't know how many people saw this mountain that they were scared to go to because of this non-spreading fire that, like, it didn't spread and it didn't go out. Yet, Moses turned and paid attention to it. But he didn't just sort of see it at a glimpse. He went towards it. He walked towards it. He was drawn in by it. And sometimes in our lives, there's going to be a flicker of a flame sort of in, the, in, the, in, in our peripheral. Where we might be like, meh, and just keep going. Or some of us might turn and go, wow, that looks pretty spectacular. And keep going, right? Or some of us might say, whatever is going on there is just a bit too, too out there for me. And uh, you know what? I'm actually going to turn away and go the opposite direction. That happens. When God shows up, sometimes it offends our senses. Every once in a while, God will offend you just by being present. 
because of how he chooses to be present. Now, could he shown up as a physical man? Of course he could have. But for whatever reason, he chose to be there as a flaming bush with a voice talking out of it. Now, how many of you would consider yourselves somewhat um, broken in your mind if you went to a bush that was on fire that told you to take your shoes off because you were standing on holy ground and then you did that? How many of you would feel a little bit broken if you heard a voice coming from... Like, let's be honest. <laughs> if you don't think you're broken when something like this is happening, something special is going on right now. Something happens that we have to engage that fear. We've got to engage the new. We've got to recognize that God shows up in ways we don't understand. And guess what? It's okay. I'm really... I, I feel okay with the fact that before it was in the Bible, it wasn't. What does that mean? I don't necessarily judge the encounter, the experience, the whatever that, that is currently happening just because I don't actually see it firmly rooted in Scripture first. Now, if Moses, who wrote the books, so therefore he wouldn't have had the books, but he would have had a certain sense of um, oral, an oral story that would have been passed down from Adam all the way through to uh, Moses gets it, an oral tradition. But either way, he didn't see anywhere in the oral tradition that God shows up as a fiery bush talking to you on the side of a mountain saying, take your shoes off. And yet he engaged it with honor and with humility. right? And he engaged in something that was transform, transformational. And I believe that is why like his choice to turn towards God, regardless of how God decided to show up, turning towards God is what helped him to develop a relationship of actual friendship. Because God wants people who are not going to be afraid of him. What does it look like for God to show up in all that he is? Remembering what we said about, like from psychology today, right? Where you could just be absolutely yourself with no shame, no fear, no guilt. Just here I am in, who, in, in, in how I choose to express myself today. So God chooses to show up as a fiery bush and Moses says, okay, I receive you. That says something. That says something about the character of Moses. It also says that you and I can have the exact same thing. So sometimes, I, re I remember when Fire Marshal Ben over here, is how I used to call him, uh, back in 2008, because he was hit by Holy Spirit in the same year I was hit by Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit had him laughing. Holy Spirit had me crying. Okay? And I was travailing for nations and just boom! And we were in the same room, and he'd come over to me with all his holy laughter and put his hands on me, and I was so offended. I kept thinking, doesn't this guy see I'm doing the work of God? Surely this is a holy moment that's happening, right? Because I was offended that God would show up in laughter, like as if. Really? And then God said, hey, buddy, that guy's not drunk as you seem to suppose. It's only nine in the evening. Ben only gets his good drunk on later. You know, it's so easy to get offended by the presence of God when we, when we decide to keep it in a box, that we have to understand it. I don't think Moses understood that there was a bush burning on the side of a mountain that, got, that sort of called his name internally and then said, hey, buddy, take your shoes off for where you're, like, you're standing on holy ground. Like, he wasn't offended by that. And there's something about that when God can speak to you in such a way that you don't get offended, that he can just be himself, that he can actually let his heart sh be shown to you. That's, that's a fantastic place to be. That is an invitation into a real relationship with God. You think that God wants to be pushed off aside and say, man, you're great, but I just need you to stay, stand over there. That is not a heart of relationship that's for each other. To be standoffish from somebody else, there's things that we need to deal with inside, right? Amen. All right, next slide, please. Let's jump into the New Testament. Jesus said to the 11 disciples after Jesus Iscariot left them, uh, which is found in John 13.30. You are my friends if you, do, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Now that word was specifically to those 11, but it's also to you and me because nothing that was for them is only for them. It's also for us. 
But there was a relationship that developed here, a tremendous relationship that developed here. How did it develop? How do you develop friendship with God? How did they develop a friendship with God? Some of these questions are super easy to answer if we're willing to just read a little bit, right? So some of the things that they did was they hung out with the guy for three years, literally day and night. They ate with him. They slept with him. They would have bathed with him in a, in a river or something, right? Not, not like in a tub or whatever, obviously, but... Just got to get that out of your head. Or maybe I don't. I don't know. Maybe I was the one who put that there. <laughs> but now I'm going to get it out. They suffered with him. They celebrated with him. He taught. They didn't understand. They would ask questions, and then they would understand. He poured his life out for them. They loved him. They loved him to the point they, no lo- they did not want him to die for them. They, he, they wanted him to stay. Now, some of them would have wanted him to stay at some point in their journey because they wanted a king. They wanted to come out from underneath Roman rule and all of these things. And, and they wanted power and authority and they wanted the Jewish people to be the number one uh, people of all time. But as that relationship progressed, it changed. When Jesus asked the question, Are you, will you too leave me? Will you also leave? Like all of these have left me, will you also leave? is the question being posed. And so sometimes that's us that he's posing that question to, right? So sometimes something can just, when Holy Spirit just takes over a room and, and, and confuses our senses and, and when two guys are dragging you across the floor to put your feet on a, on a mystical, cloudy, white staircase <laughs> and you're like, I don't get this. And yet something in you is churning Right? Like that fiery bush. And it's trying, to, it's trying to get you to look. Trying to get you to encounter God in a, in a level that, that really is confusing. But it's transformational. You're asked that question, will you too? Will you also leave? Will you also abandon me? Will you also move away? Will you also be threatened? Will you also be offended by how I'm choosing to present myself to you right now? Right? And those who stay, who, who, who want that presence more than they want understanding, who want that presence more than they want affirmation from people, those are the ones who begin to be drawn into a much deeper friendship with God where he entrusts his heart to us. Now, he has entrusted his heart to us in part through Scripture. Would you agree? A lot of, a lot of churches like in, in ch- churches that we've been pastoring in, would say, that's enough. But God himself says that's not enough. Jesus didn't only spend time reading the word, even though he was the word. He chose to spend time meditating on the word, but also being in the presence of his father. It says that he, like he only did what he saw his father doing. He only said what his father had already been saying. There's a relationship there where there's this divine connection that in everything that Jesus is doing, he's seeing the Father do it. He has the heart of the Father throughout the whole thing. And, there, and there, that's why it's important to have that friendship. And then an apostle says, or a, a disciple says, but where should we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And that happens to us, right? God invites us into, into relationship and then, you know, sort of asks the question, is this, a bit, is this too much for you? And he knows that it's threatening our understanding and our theological boxes. He knows. He's fine with that. Right? Are we okay with that? Sometimes we've got to be okay with not being okay. A wise woman shared that with me just recently. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not understand. Right? It's even okay to walk away from that encounter, which we'll get into next month. It's okay. God's not offended. But he is asking you, hey, like, do you want just a bit more? Do you want just a bit more of me? Are you ready to house me in a way you haven't yet? To experience me in a way you haven't yet? To experience me in such a way that literally actually begins to transform you into blue light beings that emanate the presence of God in such a thick way that you can, you can actually walk into dark places where there's a witch doctor at the end of the alley, literally, and they just sense the presence of God on you and they come out and they're fearful. And you say, well, where is that in the Bible? Well, how many demons came to Jesus and said, hey, buddy, 
What are you doing? This is not the appointed time. Right? And he's operating as a human. And the same thing is true for you. You could be so full of the presence of God that things start to get freaky around you because of demonic things that are starting to recognize, hey, 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 it's not time yet. They respond, right? But Jesus actually has the words of everlasting life, of like the transformative words. Next slide, please. Look at that guy. Love that dude. I like to call him Jesus. Other people call him by his natural name, an actor, which I won't say. But um, Jesus says that I have called you friends. That we've gone. We've, tri- we've gone together. We've walked together. Now, how many of you accepted Jesus more than a year ago? Some of you only a year ago. Like, seriously, be bold. If, if longer than a year, put your hand up. Keep it up. Don't be shy. Good. Almost all of you. Okay? And we've walked a journey with God and with Jesus that was meant to be something. It was meant to take us from being servants. So we have to have a heart of a servant because he has the heart of a servant. Right? We're not going to manufacture a heart of service, but rather we're going to be given a heart of service that wants to serve. Why? Because he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so therefore, it's almost innate. It's almost within us as we accept Christ that our hearts begin to yearn to serve others, to serve him. Right? And Jesus says, man, like, and as this relationship progresses, you know what? I want something different for you because you're just doing what I'm telling you to do. But you but you don't know what I know. I want you to know what I know. I want you to know the heart of the Father for you. I want you to know the heart of the Father for the people around you. I want you to know the heart of the Father for all of creation. I want you to know the eternal plan and the purposes of God. I want you to know that. And so in in that telling, as Jesus is now telling him the ways of God, right? Moses asked to know God's ways. Not just his face, but his ways. How he did what he did. Why, like what was the driving motivation behind what, G- what God was doing? And so Jesus wanted to convey that and he did so. He wanted to take people from being servants, which is a great place to be. There's nothing wrong with being a servant of God. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's a beautiful thing. Especially when it's accompanied with being a servant of man. That we serve man because we serve God. That's how it looks, right? This is, in fact, how we serve God is by serving each other. But Jesus wants to take it to an entirely different level. He wants to bring us into friendship. Okay, so next slide, please. Would you prefer, prefer to be known as, uh, by God as his servant or his friend? These are just internal questions. You don't have to answer them right now. Next slide. How do we develop a friendship lifestyle with God? Because it looks different, right? So I have friends here and I have friends abroad. Uh, but how we walk in relationship looks a little bit different. In fact, I almost find that it's easier to be in friendship with people abroad because you, you both intentionally decide to put time aside to have communication, right? So when we do that, like we can do the same thing here, when we do that, when there's this intentional engagement, we, we are saying that we are prioritizing that relationship. Okay? And we're going to see a little bit later, how, like, this friendship lifestyle is actually manifested in Jesus. It's also manifested in basically every single prophet in the Bible. <laughs> All right? It's, it's David's life. Like, David worshipped God out of a heart of worship. Where did he get that? Right? Some people have it. Some people don't. Is that kind of how it works? No, God gave it to him. He deposited, deposited that heart in David. And he's deposited a specific heart in you that really only comes to life through the intentional engagement with God as Father. Okay, next slide, please. How important is intimacy with God for you? Or to you? Great question. So real quick testimony. It totally was not important to me up until 2008. That's just the truth. I had the Bible. What else did I need? Right? And a lot of us actually live our day-to-day life like that. Except some of us are like, well, I've got Bethel music. That's enough. Right? Or I've got, what do you call it? Tribal? Tribal? What's that app? I've been, tribal? 
I'm listening to this new app. It's just strictly worship. And, uh, and I got to tell you, as good as it is, it's not enough. Right? The Bible, as good as the Bible is, is still actually not enough. Anybody can have, or anybody has access to the Bible, or just about anybody has access to the Bible, but that in and of itself is not enough. There's more. All of these things are intended to do something. What are they intended to do? They're intended to help develop a desire for intimacy within you, a desire for more of God. What does that look like? Is it going to be some crazy flailing on the ground, or is it going to be some somber thing in the background where you're just silent and you feel the presence of the weighty presence of God, or is it going to be you travailing through the Holy Spirit, um, praying over nations? And like, what's it going to look like? What difference does it make to you what it looks like? You're not in control, and that's that's where fear comes in, you guys. When we're trying, when we're fearful to experience God, when we're fearful of His presence because of what might manifest, right? That has to help you to understand something's going on internally that isn't of God because God is a lover. He loves you. That is, that is his chief thing, love. The Bible says that he is love. That's the chief thing you should, that you should be experiencing with him, not fear. So if you're experiencing fear when the, the, when the question of intimacy comes in, it's not God's issue, right? That's your issue. And God is so beautiful that he's actually like, I am so willing to remove this from you. I am willing. God is so humble. He's willing to earn your trust. Isn't that something? He gets it. He gets what you're going through. He understands you implicitly. He made you. There is nothing you're going through or will ever go through. There's nothing you've been tempted by or will ever be tempted by that Jesus doesn't firmly understand. That's kind of the point of the life of Jesus. So that he can understand us and relate to us. Right? That's beautiful. That's actually beautiful. So we go on. Next slide, please. I love this. Practice the presence. So th this, is, this is my visual cue to give you a testimony. Practice the presence of God. Which sounds a little bit aloof, but it really isn't. So some of you know my testimony, some of you don't. So I'm going to just... Uh, Using Jen as my visual cue to keep it short. <laughs> it's okay. We had a conversation before. I told her she wasn't going to have to say anything. Just me seeing her would be the visual cue I needed based on the conversation we had to just make sure it was compact and tight because there's more coming in this series and you'll get to hear more of what God has done, is doing, and whatever. But in 2008, I did not know God relationally. I knew God strictly through doctrine and it wasn't working. I was not seeing people healed. Okay, this is how you know if it's working. If your current theology is working, these are the things that you're going to see manifested in your life. If your theology is totally sufficient, this is what's going to be happening. You will heal the sick. Okay? You will raise the dead. How many of us can hang our hats on that one? Okay, we're just like, that hasn't happened. There's something wrong with your theology then. It's not God. All right? That's just a plain and simple truth as I see it. I've heard other people talk about it. Hey, how come Josh is still in a wheelchair? I'll give you the answer. I don't have faith for it yet. That's the answer. Okay, it's not God's issue. God is healing today. He absolutely is. Okay, Gordon, Cindy's mom. Had the Lord said, yep, this is the appropriate time, they would have been able to raise her from the dead, right? God had a different plan, and so they stayed in tune with God's plan for her. But there comes a time, you guys, when these things need to be manifested and you can check it with your theology. Healing the sick, raising dead, cleansing the leper, casting out demons. Four very specific words out of, or uh, phrases out of Jesus' mouth. These signs will accompany those who believe. So if your theology is perfect enough that you're seeing all of these things, fantastic. Then you don't need more. Okay? But, in, but leading up to 2008... None of those things were being manifested in my life, nor in the lives of the people around me. So I began to question. I said, Lord God, like, the church taught me to read your word and to believe every single word of it to be true for today. Then they told me something different from the front, that it wasn't for today, that it, was, it ended back then. But I'm not reading that somewhere in Scripture, that these signs would accompany those who believe. 
up until AD 70. That's not what it says. And so, Father, what is it in me that needs this? And so through, the, to, through testimonies of other people who had a deeper relationship with God, through intimacy, I was challenged. I was challenged to seek intimacy with a father that I did not want to have. I wanted the military leader. I wanted the one who was strict and in control and would put me in my place. That's what I desired because that's what I felt I deserved. I didn't deserve to be in a loving, compassionate relationship with God that was tender and merciful. That's where I was. But God chose to break through that by creating a hunger deep within me. I wanted these things to happen. I just couldn't stand it anymore that people were not getting healed who so desperately needed healing. I remember one day a, a mother brought her baby to church and her baby was absolutely covered in rashes and she desired for the church to pray for the baby. And it broke my heart that that baby left with rashes all over. Broke my heart. But it was good. It needed to happen because I was confronted with something. I had a hunger deep within me, a yearning inside of me to see the power of God manifested in his bride, in his body. The powerful spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is literally the Holy Spirit that is living within you. And so a passion began to grow inside of me. God said, I don't know how I understood it at that time, but God said, I need you to give up your business. I gave up my business. Then the Lord said, I need you to learn how to journal. We'll go into that a totally different day. So I began to learn how to journal. He says, I want you to learn how to read your Bible the way I read the Bible. And I was like, you read the Bible? Actually, I wasn't in a place of questioning those things at the time. He says, I want you to learn what it looks like to be with me, to meet with me in ways other people find confusing. I'm going to call you out and do something different with you than you've ever experienced in your life. I said, all right. Because now he was talking to me like a commander-in-chief, which was great. And I remember the first time, two weeks after this whole journey into, okay, like I'm just going to immerse myself in God, began. A guy came over to my house who was shortly removed from my house because he said, man, all you need to do is sit on daddy's lap. Do I look like I'm going to sit on daddy's lap? <laughs> that was kind of my thought, right? I, I was like, there was a hardcore disconnect between my father and me because of a long negative history. So don't, number one, talk to me about some daddy because God is much bigger than being a daddy. That's how I saw it. God is much bigger than just needing me to sit on his lap while he coos me or blah, 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 blah. So I kicked the guy out of my house. He wasn't there 20 minutes. I was like, dude, you're not giving me nothing. Like, give me some marching orders. Like, give me do, 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 do. I need do lists, right? I'm a doer. I need to get stuff done. I was like, okay, what are the chief things that are in my way? You're going to tell me that all I need to do is sit on some imaginary lap and suddenly I'm going to be able to heal people? Like, that is not constructive information, right? That's not a list of things. That's not a doing list, right? And so what happened was... All I needed to do was get on daddy's lap. <laughs> That's actually what had to happen. But that looked like something. So practicing the presence of God. So God led me incrementally into a tender relationship with him and began to work on me. He's like, you know what, Ken? What's this father heart issue? What's going on? And I was like, you know exactly what's going on. You put me in this family. You know what's going on. You know. You knew before I was made. Yeah, yeah, I sure did. Boy, would did I ever make a good decision. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm going to choose to try to see it how you see it. And so that began, in 2008, began a journey into the heart of the Father that also then began a journey for, for my dad into my heart. Okay? Where... I just began to surrender and I was like, man, that person's healing means enough to me to suck it up and deal with whatever's going on inside of me because it mattered that much. The presence of God on our lives needs to matter. Right? If you're tired of seeing people around you suffer needlessly because our theology is in the way, Jesus said he's already healed them. Right? 
By his wounds, we are healed. Not by his wounds, we are being healed. Not by his wounds, one day somewhere in miraculous history or miraculous future will be healed. Not when we enter heaven will we be healed. It says we are healed. So what does that manifestation look like? There's got to be something, right? And so I began to ask those hard questions. And God said, okay, just keep meeting with me. Keep meeting with me. Keep meeting with me. And so I did. For two long years, I met with him. Basically, eight hours a day, every single day, reading the word, journaling, healing people. I just suddenly began to heal people. It was weird, right? And I was like, what did I do there? <laughs> I was just, God said, Kate, I want you to put your hands on their back and whisper into the back of their neck and pray in tongues. And I was just like, I've got bubbles, buddy. <laughs> Big bubbles. It means I've got like personal space issues. <laughs> this was back then. And, but I did it, and, and I knew in my heart that if I would lay my hands on this, on this gentleman's back and whisper, praying in tongues into his neck, he would be healed. And sure enough, it happened. And that kind of thing just happened over and over and over again. People being healed, demons fleeing before I got like fully in the room. All kinds of these things were transpiring. Greater encounters were happening where I was having visions and dreams and mind-blowing stuff. But it all actually came from practicing the presence of God. How do I just sit in your presence, Father, and never leave it? Just like Joshua. See, Moses went into the tent. He met face to face with God. Fantastic. Then he left. But there was this little thing in the back of my head that kept saying, why is Joshua staying? What's going on with Joshua? Because Joshua was being made ready to lead the people into the promised land, where Moses was actually just being made ready to help these guys suck it up and move on, right? Like, he set up the structure, but Joshua really brought it home. And I believe that it was practicing the presence, like being in the presence of God continually and learning what does this look like? How do I do this? And I'll tell you right now that I am a chief sinner in this area because I fail at this on a day-to-day -day basis. But it doesn't mean that my heart's motivation isn't to practice this all of the time. Because as we do that, as we, as we soak in the presence of God intentionally, intentionally facing our fears, intentionally facing our insecurities, intentionally facing the things that are um, intimacy blockers between us and God. As we do these things, this is what's going to happen. You will heal the sick. You will raise the dead. You will cleanse the leper. And you will cast out demons. That is the fruit of that relationship with God. Why would I want to be friends with God? Because that's the fruit. That's pretty amazing fruit. I don't want to just be friends with God because he saved me. That isn't enough. He actually saved me from me, not just from hell. Man, being me was hell. Right? It was. How many of you have ever been trapped in, in depression? How many of you have ever been trapped with anger or control issues? I mean, you know it's a hell. Being trapped by the fear of man, that's hell. Presence, God's presence is liberating. Beauty. Okay, let's move on. So how do we do it? Solitude. What does the Bible have to say about solitude? Let's go to Matthew 4, 23b. I've got it all up there. Don't bother trying to get there. Uh, next slide, please. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go, to the, go on ahead of him to the other side while he diminished the crowd. So he sent everybody away. After he had sent them away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So I've talked about this before, that God was so busy, Jesus was so busy, that he can relate to you. How many of you, right, have, have people pressing in from every side, trying to get healed? Right? Just trying to grab a piece of your clothing. Right? None of us. But he understands what it feels like to feel so inundated with the pressures of the world, the pressures of society, even our own family, he gets it. He understands. And at the same time, he prioritizes spending time with God. Being in the presence of God. He prioritizes that. This whole concept of being on the mountain. I want you to think about that. Mountaintop. Okay? So your, your experiences with God will be a mountaintop experience. But not only that, it takes top priority. Right? You go to the top of the mountain because it's your top priority. You meet with God face to face, heart to heart. 
just to be with him, be in his presence, just be filled with him, just be in love with him and be enraptured by his love because you know that that love is transforming you and every single person around you. Luke 5, next slide, please. And again, oh, hold on, where? Yeah, you're one ahead of me, good. Luke 5, 15 and 16. But the news about Jesus spread all the more, and great crowds came to him and he, uh, to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet, he frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray. So sometimes we feel like we're so busy that we don't have time to do this. And yet, clearly, it's still a super high priority to Jesus. So if Jesus is our example of what it looks like to be fully surrendered to the, to the heart of God and, and to God's will, then we check out what did he do. Okay, doer, I need a do list. Here's a do. He frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray. So in the busyness, even though the needs are so huge around you, and you feel like if you leave, everything's going to fall apart, guess what? So what? They likely won't, but so what? Jesus withdrew. Why? So that he could, so that he could meet those needs. He needs to be filled, continuously filled with Holy Spirit. So we move on. We recognize that solitude was super important to Jesus. What else? All right, abiding. What does the Bible say about abiding? John 15, 17. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So you want to know the fruit? You want to see how this works? Abide in him. Live in him. Be in his presence. Make his presence the absolute top priority for you and your household. Right? Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will praise the Lord. It's a decision. A decision. All of these things are a decision away. Okay, so let's just jump ahead. I got a whack load of Bible verses, so we're just going to go ahead. We're going to jump up to transparency. Right? So there's some great Bible verses in, in the Bible for transparency. You can go ahead and read them for yourself. But basically, the, 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 the thing here is that it's a two-way street. Number one, God wants to be fully real with you. And transparency goes two ways, right? He wants to be fully real with you, and you need to be fully real with him. How can you be fully real with him? It's actually not just in your prayer closet. It's right here. Right here. Right? Where there is no shame. So we want to, we want to invite an atmosphere or a culture of no shame. Okay? No guilt. No envy. We don't want that stuff. We just want to be real. We want to be able to just be you, man. Like if you're having a bad day, this is a great place to just let that out. You know? Have a bad day. And allow us then to come around you and love on you. And let us feel with you. And if you're having a great day, then let us come around you and have a great day with you. We're meant to partner together with, with you in all of this. It's, it's the stuff that we lock up that keeps us bound. Okay, We're binding it, keeping us bound. I wonder where we've heard that before. If you bind a thing. All right. Let's jump ahead to... Where are we? Boom. Humility, please. Boom. That guy back there needs an applause. Great. Humility. Now, why was it difficult for me until 2008 to experience the presence of God? Straight up humility. I was not willing to submit to God's authority in a, as a loving father. A commanding, demanding father, no problem. But the tender heart of God, I was unwilling to experience. I was unwilling to be in the room with someone who was talking about that stuff. Because it creeped me out. But that was just strictly heart issues. Heart issues, right? Just tremendous difficulty experiencing the love of God. So, as I practiced solitude regularly, as I practiced abiding, as I practiced transparency, as I practiced humility, what was the fruit of that? So my dad and I grew in our relationship one to another. It's absolutely miraculous. Um... A story I'll leave for a different day, but absolutely, totally, 100% miraculous, okay? And uh, so I was raised believing he did not want me. He tried to abort me. He, uh, like, there was just a lot of negative, and it was told to me on a regular basis that, like, in a variety of forms, that I was not approved of, okay? My brother was. Now, it's okay. 
because it, it like it like God has worked that sucker right out and uh, shown me the importance of relationship with him because I began to become tender towards my dad who I faulted for a lot of things that were really just a generational issue that you know that he struggled with and so that was awesome and this relationship was happening with happening between me and my dad and I wasn't really chasing after it it was happening dad kept pursuing me this is awesome I just kept pursuing the heart of the father Right? Because I, I just wanted to be transformed. I didn't want to be angry. I wanted to be loving. You know, I didn't want to be uh, weak. I wanted to be powerful in Christ so that th- these, these things from Mark 16 would manifest in my life. That was my heart's desire, that, that God's presence would literally actually transform people around me. So I shouldn't be shocked when it's actually beginning to happen. Right? So, not that long ago, my brother and I, who were very distant, he comes up to me. He says, you know what? I don't know what's going on with you. And, and dad, but whatever it is, I want it. And I was like, dude, nothing's going on. <laughs> that was my take on it. But my brother was witnessing something else. My brother was witnessing a relationship that my dad and I were having that I thought my brother and he had. But they didn't. And so my brother just said, like, what's going on? You know, like, how did this happen? So I began to tell him, well, in 2008, this guy sat in my living room saying, you have to sit on daddy's lap. And my brother had the exact same response I did in 2008. <laughs> Well, you got to kick that dude out of the house, you know. But my brother began to be open to pursuing a passionate relationship with the heart of the Father because he knew he needed it because he was seeing the fruit of it in my life. And my brother knew all too well that that relationship, that loving, caring, nurturing relationship between my father and me shouldn't be happening. So it had to be God, Okay. So that's, that's kind of the beauty. Like, why would you go after these things? Why would you want to be a friend of God? Why would you allow him to have this transformative work in your life? Because it changes everything. It changes everything. People get healed. People get set free. People have hope. Restored relationship. Restored finances. Power beyond reason. Now imagine... That's what was happening for one person. Jesus was experiencing all this by himself, but he was trying to share it with others. And he says one day, he says, man, everything I have done, you will also do, but even greater things than these, because I go to my Father and I'm going to send the promised one to you, who is Holy Spirit. And then all of you are going to be able to do it. Imagine the worldwide impact if all of you are housing the presence of Holy Spirit and you've prepared that place and you've nurtured that place within him and you have it as the absolute high point of your life that this is it. Imagine the impact. Next slide, or next, lots of slides till you see the face of Jesus. Let's just go until you see the face of Jesus. Thank you right there. <laughs> Jesus says that no one comes to the Father but through me. And so last night the Lord was leading me into something here that I don't normally do. I mean, obviously I do this. That nobody comes to the Father except through Him. And I believe that there's some people here who, who, hung, who may hunger for a greater presence, a great, like a, even a greater expression of presence or a greater uh, awareness of His presence. Okay? And Jesus makes it clear that nobody comes to the Father except through Him. So the chief way we experience that is through Jesus. And so we just ask Jesus to lead us. Now, hit it again. Next slide, please. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that's Jesus inviting us into a deeper relationship. It's Jesus representing the heart of the Father. That he literally stands at the door and knocks. And some of us, like in 2008, when I was so disgusted where I was as a preacher, as a, as a minister of God, like nothing was happening. Right? And I was disgusted with that. And I finally went to God and I was like, oh, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. The Bible says there's more than there's got to be. Next slide. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So I just want to break this down a little bit. If anyone hears my voice, number one, so paying attention to the voice of God, like that little, that still small voice, that little nudge, that little fire that's sort of in the peripheral that you turn your attention to, right? We turn our attention towards it and opens the door. That's a response to what we're seeing or hearing. Moses responded to seeing the fire. Right? We respond, and we open the door, and then Jesus says, I will come into him. I will enter into him, and I will eat with him. We'll have communion. We'll have fellowship. We'll share all things. 
and he with me. We will then, see, he with me. I will come into him and, he, and eat with him, and he with me. So he will come, as in I, Ken, will come into me and eat with me. So we're going to exchange. Jesus is going to come into me. I'm going to come into Jesus. And it's going to be this whole one thing from John 17. I don't know if you remember the prayer or not. But Jesus is praying that they would be one like we are one. Right? It's a shared body. It's shared communion. Next slide, please. Hebrews 11:16. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he comes to God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so in 2008, I began to diligently seek God. That looks like something. It changes how you live your life. It changes your priorities. It absolutely does. If you're not ready to restructure your life, then this, that is not a diligent seeking. Restructuring of your day-to-day -day living so that you put the presence of God as your absolute most, right? That is diligently seeking. And not seeking a result, you guys. The church is often faulted by trying to seek a result. And so by doing that, we create a religion or we create a how-to plan, a step-by-step -step process that pretty much alleviates the heart of God. Right? But when we prioritize Him, we diligently seek Him. And then He says, and what does He say about doing that? By changing your priorities to coming into alignment, what's important to Him versus what's important to you. He rewards you. John 1, 9, 1, 1 John 1, 9, please. Yeah. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And this is how I see, this is how I'm interpreting that regarding presence. When I recognized that I want to be the provider in my home instead of God because I felt like I couldn't trust him, I had to ask God for forgiveness and repent. Now, repentance in that picture looked like for me, God said, give your job up and I'm, or give up your business and I'm going to show you I'm the provider. Was that a difficult journey? Absolutely, 100%. It was brutal. Brutal. You might think, oh, that means there's going to be absolute abundance. I'll tell you what. I definitely felt like Elijah by the, by the river that turned into a, a stream, that turned into a creek, that turned into a tiny little line of water, being fed by a crow that may or may not show up. <laughs> right? I just had to trust God that it was coming. And it came. But I certainly was less bountiful than I am today. But it came. Next slide. I believe what the Lord, like I don't do altar calls. I don't, like that's just not my bag. But it's God's. And last night I felt uh, he really wanted us to do this. He wanted us to come into his presence and to just ask Jesus to do something for us that he has already done for most of us, but maybe some of us are still here and, and we, we long for a different level of relationship. Maybe we long for a presence that is just so mind-boggling that we're okay with disappearing into a wall, <laughs> you know, because we're just so mindful of his presence that we're, we're more mindful of his presence than we are the wall, right? Or we're more mindful of his presence than we are any obstacle that stands in front of us that that mountaintop that we sit on with him really truly is high and above all other things. That all powers and principalities truly are underneath our feet because we are seated in Jesus.